Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, or just a student at a Jesuit school, then the term Ignatian spirituality is probably pretty familiar to you. And if you're like me, you might think of Ignatian spirituality as the bedrock of all things Jesuit, something that just is and always has been, at least as far as Jesuits are concerned. Magis, contemplatives in action, discernment, I assumed those were words St. Ignatius himself liked to use. Well, I hate to break it to you, it's just not so. I sat down to talk with the legendary Jesuit historian, Father John O'Malley, about a recent article he co-wrote with another Jesuit historian, Father Tim O'Brien. The article is called The 20th Century Construction of Ignatian Spirituality, a sketch. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. And it's exactly what it sounds like, a quick historical tour through Jesuit history, reflecting on how we ended up with spirituality we call Ignatian, and how it differs from, or at least expands upon, what St. Ignatius originally said and did. And hey, if you like Ignatian spirituality, then do I have an email series for you. Head over to jesuits.org weekly. Here's my conversation with Father John O'Malley. get into the meat and potatoes of your article. Let's just start with how did this project come to be? How was it that one of the society's senior most members uh, and a newly ordained priest came to collaborate on such an initiative? Well, the uh, this question of where Ignatian spirituality came from, where that term came from, and the, the, the cluster of ideas that it includes, uh, have been rattling in the back of my head for some time because of uh, when I entered the Jesuits uh, uh, 75 years ago, uh, that was not uh, an issue. There was no such thing. And then last year, I published a uh, little fascicle in studies on my the story of analyzing what happened to Minor Vishay. And one of the sections was uh, the spiritual culture. And I realized very clearly that there was no Ignatian spirituality as such. So that was the development. Then Tim came along, he just finished in Paris, and uh, uh, he was very interested in the subject because he'd been kind of schooled in it in Paris. And we met, and uh, uh, after a conversation or two, we decided, let's collaborate on an article. So that's what we did. It was a very easy and and uh, very fruitful collabor- collaborative project. Yeah, I, I mean, it was, a, it was a fascinating read. I wonder, is there a particular thing about uh, the way we understand Ignatian spirituality uh, contemporarily that you were trying to correct? Was there something in the record that you wanted to, to fix for folks uh, as we kind of continue on in our, our kind of global learning about Ignatian spirituality? Well, I guess the only thing I wanted to correct was uh, the assumption that this construct this idea of uh, Ignatian spirituality was immortal, that it was, you know, there in the past. So I'm a historian, and so I've learned that uh, every recovery of the past is a transformation of the past. So 
we tra have transformed uh, the basic elements that were in the first uh, fathers. And then along the way, because we say Ignatian spirituality, but it's not just Ignatius. There was Polanco, there was Nadal, and then we move on to uh, the uh, 32nd General Congregation, 31st, 32nd General Congregation, and so forth. So it's, uh, it's broader than Ignatius, it's consonant with Ignatius, but it's not exactly all focused on Ignatius. So I wonder then, kind of picking off on this idea that you know, where we place Ignatius in the story uh, really matters. Can you sketch for us the evolution of our understanding of St. Ignatius? You know, where have we landed now? Why do you think that is? And, and how has that understanding influenced our understanding now of, of the spirituality that he's inspired? Well, I mean, if you look back, say, to the 19th century or even earlier, who was Ignatius? What was Ignatius? He was a soldier, and he founded this military order. And obedience was uh, the key element of its way of proceeding. And uh, the uh, uh, so and also discipline, self-discipline was uh, the uh, fruit of Ignatius of uh, this of his teaching. So you what did you do? You did the spiritual exercise every year and you made a resolution to uh, I won't eat so much at dinner. I mean, things like this. Mm. Well, the exercises are much, much larger than that. <laughs> so that was what was being corrected. Uh, in, so beginning in the 19th century. Do you think, you know, one of the things that I, I was really struck with working through your article, uh, you know, do you think that St. Ignatius would, would even recognize Ignatian spirituality today? You know, what would be most easily understood by him or, or, or most surprise him? First of all, he would not have understood it. <laughs> uh, because although it's consonant with his, with, with his teaching, of course, it draws from his teaching, it was not put together that way by him or anybody else until, well, really, the, about the third decade of the 20th century began to kind of come together. So uh, I think he, we'd have to give him a little... Uh, uh, fast course in what Ignatian spirituality really was and how it related to him and how he was basically responsible for it. <laughs> yeah, well, to, to you as a Jesuit for, for so many years, what, I mean, recognizing that Ignatius, you know, might not recognize the spirituality of today, what role does he play as the founder of the society in your mind? What what role does, does his, his, his person play in, in the in the Jesuits, then, if it's not this direct thread of spirituality? Well, I mean, he founded a religious order. That's pretty basic. Uh, <laughs> and uh, a religious order that has done so many wonderful things for the church and had all its problems, too, but uh, uh, was, uh, you know, especially uh, very influential. And I mean, one thing, i give you an example of one thing that he would not recognize in the Society of Jesus until it was pointed out to him was his decision to found schools. So that changed the society. And all at once, Jesuits, unlike any other religious order at the time, became experts in secular knowledge. 
Now that was now that was going on once once schools were founded, but then that just developed through the centuries. So he'd have to say, we have to say, look, Ignatius, you're responsible for this and see this. He'd say, yes, 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 I see. Interesting, yeah, and, and I, I, I love how that's a, it's a very natural evolution. You know that 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 so many years later, it seems like uh, you know jarring if you were to drop Ignatius into you know 2021, but but it seems like a, a natural evolution of of the mission. Yeah, right, absolutely. So you've got to do this, do what we what has been done. I mean, you've got to keep looking at the sources and see what they're telling you now, and so you come to it with your questions your culture, and you're asking the past, and you find in the past what you need. It's not necessarily what the past needed, so therefore you you construct it. Uh, and so what really happened, I mean, if the stimulus for all this was the fact that the society, along with just about everybody else in the late uh, 19th century, early 20th century, wanted to publish the uh, critical editions of their sources. So. In Spain, they began to publish the uh, all the, the 12 volumes of Ignatius correspondence, all the early documents, and so on and so forth. Now it's 153 volumes. So once that was there, scholars could go and say, for instance, the, the so-called autobiography. Right. That was gone, in effect, until it was published by this these critical editions. And so especially French scholars, but after and said, oh, yeah, well, hmm. we, this is pretty important. Yeah, right. It seems like the, the publication, obviously, that was the key moment, the publication of all of those documents uh, right. in a way that other Jesuits could access. Um, and, and it seems like it was a distinct feature of, of the Jesuits, you know, being able to, to go in there and really mine the history. But I'm wondering, but before that moment, before those things were published, what did, you know, Jesuit spirituality look like? What role did the exercises play um, before there's this, this kind of eye-opening experience of all this other rich, rich source material? Well, uh, the exercises, of course, were always central. I mean, all the novices had to do it. The and we had to do, do that every year for eight days, and then internship, another thirty-day uh, retreat. Uh, but it was kind of a, you know, a, a synthesis of late medieval Catholic piety and uh, sort of general spiritual wisdom. That's the way we looked upon it. We didn't see it was anything sort of special because we. We weren't looking at it historically. And once you look at it historically, you see how one group is different from another group. And that's what began to dawn on people once they had the documents. So is that clear? Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And so, and so it's it's the late 19th century. All these documents are are, are suddenly made available to the Jesuits um, in a new way. And that's the real springboard to to what you and, and Father O'Brien discuss as, as the construction, right, of, of Ignatian spirituality. Right. And another, another key thing in the uh, uh, about the 1920s, 1930s was attacks on the spirituality of the society by competent people saying, yeah, well, you guys, you're just uh, you're just disciplinarians. You're just uh, you know robots, more or less, and uh, uh, self self advancing spirituality. Uh, and then the Jesuits would have to, they'd begin to defend themselves and say, well, no. So this man, the Guibert in France, he was extremely important because for one thing, he did he tried to show that 
that Ignatius was a mystic. Well, that was completely unknown to us. Uh, and th therefore, this, this is a key piece in the development of spirituality, right? Yeah. And I love what you're just to go back to something you said earlier about, you know, Ignatius was the soldier and the discipline and, and, you know, the, the you know, don't eat, you know, this or, or whatever it might be is, is the kind of the, the early fruits of the spirituality. And then, and then this, this pivot to this kind of more holistic uh, approach, certain, certainly, you know, discipline has its, has its place, but um, it just, you know, layers in, I, I feel like we all have so many, we give so many titles to Ignatius and, and certainly soldier and mystic are two that we're very comfortable saying now, but, but probably was, was quite groundbreaking to apply the, the new title, uh, you know, when it was, when it was realized, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I was, I was really shocked to read, you know, in your work, that Ignatius's own autobiography, as you said earlier, uh, was, was only widely introduced to the world, right? In the, in the 1900s thereabout. Uh, well, yeah, introduced to the Jesuits. So, so what happened? So uh, Ignatius, you know, composed it uh, before he died, and in, it was in manuscript, and there were copies circulating. And uh, when uh, Francis Borgia, the third general, was uh, in, in office, he commissioned this man, Ribadiniera, to write a biography of Ignatius, Rivadier was highly qualified to do that. And Borgia thought that it, he doesn't, didn't want a lot of things circulating to confuse people. Hmm. So he did his best to uh, withdraw from circulation all the manuscripts of the autobiography. So from that point forward, there was Rivadiniera and then other biographers who relied on Rivadiniera. And they didn't have all of that. I mean, they had documents, but they didn't have any sort of really radically corrective documents that they needed, such as the autobiography, such as the deliberation of the First Fathers, uh, all those things. And they did not have the writings of Nadal. And he's key in all this. He really, you know, go ahead. Say, say more, yeah, say more about Nadal. Well, Nadal, he's sometimes described as the theologian of Ignatian spirituality. And uh, he went around Europe doing these exhortations to Jesuit communities, telling them what it meant to be a Jesuit because they had no documents. They had they were just a brand new religious order. And we have most of them, at least many of those exhortations. So he was a much better rhetorician, a much better uh, uh, rhetorician that Ignatius and could say things that kind of pulled together Ignatius. He was faithful to Ignatius, but through this con uh, contemplative inaction, that's Nadal. Uh, so uh, interesting. So, so even even that early on in the development of society, you see that kind of natural evolution and and, and growth. Right, and that's natural. That happens all the time. Right. So it's so, as I said. Uh, we were constantly changing the past. That sounds yeah. strange, but as we change, we change the past. And well, I love the, the one the one line that you you use that I thought I think really picks up on this and some of the things you said earlier is you write as spirituality gained currency, asceticism began to lose it. Why why was that so important? Do you think? Well, because so how did people describe again once again the beginning of the twentieth century? So they got the idea that 
theology has nothing to do with it's all very cerebral and and uh, divorced from the real life of the heart so on and so forth so they're going to say oh again we got a lot of stuff here and uh, it's uh, the big tradition the main tradition was discipline i mean uh so you look at the lives of the medieval saints as you become holier the more you beat up your body uh, and uh so they began to talk about the asceticism as the history of asceticism of the idea then let's say well, wait a minute that that's too much too narrow and then in came the idea of spirituality it's a it was a, basically a new term in the 20th century as applied to what we think of as spirituality. I wonder, you know, I, I, uh, I'm sure there's so many people probably listening to this podcast that, that still equate asceticism and, and, and kind of the denying of self as, as key to, to spirituality, which, which is, you know, how it has its place. But I, um, I never, before reading this, I never really thought of Ignatian spirituality and asceticism. I'm always, uh, my introduction to Ignatian spirituality was always God delighting in me and God, you know, meeting me where I am and, 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 um, you know, and, and that kind of a, of a perspective on God, um, definitely kind of clashes with a more ascetic, uh, ascetic you know, whatever, uh, approach. How, how do you think, um, you know, spirituality obviously is meant to bring us closer to God. So, so how do you think the, the lens on God has changed throughout this construction? Well, uh, it's, uh, let me put it this way, that I think what's changed has been greater emphasis to the contemplation from attaining divine love. And in that contemplation, you have the kind of image of God that you're talking about. But until you know the last century that was take, kind of taken for granted just one of the standard things of catholic spirituality and uh didn't get the emphasis of to say that no that's the point that's the point so uh again this is a thing ignatius you have to say point this out to me you say oh yes yes that's me yeah that's that's, <laughs> that's what i'm talking about but that happens to all of us I mean, you, you know, people say, oh, so that's what you mean. You say, yeah, oh, yeah. I didn't realize that's <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's a natural thing, but it's also amazing to, to look at. Um, in your article, you, you spend a great deal of time uh, discussing, again, this evolution of spirituality into an academic discipline. And, you know, for money, I wonder if academic disciplines sounds kind of remote and maybe even irrelevant uh, to everyday experience. Um, and of course, spirituality is is supposed to be the bread and butter of, of everyday experience. So how how can you reconcile for listeners this idea of, of spirituality as academic uh, leading to or, or pairing with spirituality as something in the everyday? Well, what, 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 so the idea of spirituality and the concept of spirituality developed in the in learned literature, uh, and then people began to say, well, okay, so now we're getting the idea of it. So that's where you get the idea of it. Now let's see how it works out in practice. So it's a two-step process, but you have to have the academic, the sort of the, the very uh, cerebral and uh, detached analysis of what's going on. And in, in a sense, that's what we were doing in the article. We've got a very cerebral and academic discussion of something that is, and in the article, we tried to make clear that, yes, that's the way it began, and that's what we're talking about, but then we began to show academically how it trickled down to 
this widespread reality that it is today. I wonder too, for for you and, and also for Father Tim, um, you know, it, it's an academic. Certainly, you've you've given your life to the academic pursuit of Ignatian spirituality and in, in, in his so historical context, um, but also you're a Jesuit priest, um, so you're you are doing it in your everyday. You are you know doing you know, practicing Ignatian spirituality. So how does how does the academic? How do you in yourself marry the academic with this with the spiritual? <laughs> That's a good question. I can't answer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it just, uh, well, my, my whole idea about doing history is, uh, I do it for others. I do it because I think it's so important to communicate. So I need to communicate this to myself. So I, anything I write it, how does that tally with me? So I, I, you know, it's, it's a process. I, it's mysterious and transcendent. I really can't say much more than that. But I, I, I mean, I've always been very so. I, I don't. I mean, I, I've written very academic books, and I think that's absolutely necessary for me. It's necessary for everybody. But uh, that's not what my final goal. My final goal is to say, so what? Hmm. So what does this have to do with life? What does this have to do for where we are? How does this tell us who we are, what we are? And that's what that's what I try to do. I yeah, I, I think that's spot on. I like I like what you said. Um, kind of you, you check in with yourself about the work you're doing. You check in. How does this resonate with me? And I think that's good advice for right for everybody, whether you're a historian or 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 no matter what you're doing. You know, how how is this the daily work that I'm about uh, striking me? You know, um, you point to, to General Congregation 32, right, which was in 1975, I think, um, as this key moment when Ignatian spirituality took the form of a faith that does justice, which, again, is something that I was, uh, you know, so so familiar with. That was, again, how this was long in the in spirituality when I came to Ignatius's uh, world here. Can you say a little bit more about what led to this moment of, of a faith that does justice? And can you give a brief explainer to uh, to listeners about what a general congregation is and why it's so important to, to the shift? Well, first of all, what's a general congregation? It's the highest authority in the society of Jesus. So the general of the society, his job is to carry out, to execute what the uh, congregation decides. So they've only met rarely uh, until recently. And uh, so they're extremely important. Uh, and it's a worldwide organization of select Jesuits elected in their provinces. So from the whole province of whole society of Jesus, maybe about 200, 230 or 40 Jesuits would be in a general congregation. But they go on until they finish their business. So it's, it's a meeting that has no end. Wow. <laughs> I was at two of them. And thinking, how, when's this thing going to finally? So that's what a general general congregation is. Uh, so GC32, back backtrack a little bit. The big turning point for the Catholic Church in that regard was Leo the Thirteenth encyclical Rerum Novarum, new things on the observers on the working class and so forth. So for the first time, officially at a high level, the church began to speak about a contemporary situation and provide some kind of a solution. Now, from the very beginning, of course, the church was always doing works of charity, work, hospitals, uh, orphanages, all these things. But now 
this is part of the sort of self-definition of the church to look at society and see what needs to be done uh, that they'd never done that before so this was then that's 1890 1889. Well, I'll have to get the date now. 1871. Uh, and uh, no, oh well, forget it. Forget it. It's about 1879. The late 1800s. <laughs> 1879. That's the date. Uh, so this works, 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 works. Then you get to the point where there were these um, very highly well-trained Spanish Jesuits who were in El Salvador, and of course it was a miserable situation there with the military dictatorship and so on and so forth. And they were speaking out against it and trying to provide an alternative and uh, getting in all kinds of trouble. So this was a situation in 1974-75 for the congregation. And so bit by bit in the congregation was a very difficult uh, question to resolve. And we went on for weeks and uh, people had strong, strong, strong opinions. But we finally came up with this faith doing justice. So that's how it happened. I was at the congregation, so I know exactly what, how it worked. Yeah, I, I was going to say, as I was listening to you speak and then thinking back to the dates, I was like, oh, yeah, you, you must have, you were there, obviously. Is it weird as a historian uh, and someone who's so focused on this kind of work to, to write history about stuff that you, you are the primary source? How, how do you... How do you handle that? What's what's your process? <laughs> well, it's very difficult. I mean, there's sense that you, you know, you have to, well, in writing the first Jesuits, for instance, uh, I sort of felt I was writing about my own family. Right. And so um, am I being too hard on them? Am I being too soft on them? So constant self-examination and trying to you know, detach oneself as far as one can. Uh, and I seem to have done a pretty good job with the first Jesuits because nobody accused me of being either too hard or too soft. So, uh, but it's not easy. I mean, it's, it's, it's an ongoing process. Yeah, I, I bet. I bet you have to be really mindful of your own uh, kind of emotions and 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 feelings and, and biases. And, and also it's probably helpful to have those too sometimes in, in, in being critical. Oh, uh, exactly. You can't, you can't not have them. And right. the, the important thing is to be aware of them and to try to uh, make allowances for them. Uh, so, you know, so, you know, history is not just kind of looking at books and putting down the facts. I mean, it's a, a historian, a constant process of self-examination. Yeah. Uh, speaking of a, of a long process, you know, there are a lot of names and a lot of important figures uh, throughout this essay. Uh, and, I, and obviously you can't go through all of them for our listeners right now. Uh, but I wonder if, if there's just one that comes to mind, maybe someone we haven't yet mentioned, um, that, that you just it really stands out to you uh, as playing a really outsized role in this construction of Ignatian spirituality. Um, what, who, who would that be and why? Well, it would be somebody, unfortunately, we've already mentioned, uh, de Guibert, the French Jesuit, who uh, lived, I think, until, about, I think he died about 1942 or so. Uh, and he was, first of all, he was, uh, he founded this journal on, uh, entitled, uh, the journal uh, Mysticism, Asceticism and Mysticism, which he later changed to spirituality, and 
then uh, so dealing with these attacks on the Jesuit spirituality as little touristic and so on and so forth wrote this big book on the history of Jesuit spirituality is what he, the term he used but the first chapter is the key chapter and that is um, as I mentioned Ignatius as a mystic and this was this was absolutely groundbreaking and crucially important. Meanwhile, he also was the founder of the great Dictionnaire de Spiritualité, the French multi-volume Dictionary of Spirituality Historical Work, which was not completed until about 15 years ago. So it's a wonderful, but at any rate, all at once now we, we were getting really solid stuff. And he's, he's a key figure in this. So for me, he's, I mean, there are many, many important figures, but he's really pivotal. Pivotal, that, 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 that switch to the mysticism. Yeah. I like that. Um, I'm going to read a long paragraph of, of your work here, um, but I think it's important because I think it uh, kind of jumps to the present. I think you have a lot of uh, helpful uh, pointers for the, for the present moment that I'd like you to comment on. But let me read this paragraph. You write, but no matter how gratifying to contemporary Jesuits this broad-based support may be, the danger that accompanies it is the promotion of a superficial and catchphrase grasp of the Jesuit tradition. The problem is that when present-day discussion of Jesuit values and ideals is severed from knowledge of the original sources, distortions are almost inevitable and correction by the sources impossible. This danger is real, especially in popular presentations of Ignatian spirituality. It is, however, a danger that accompanies a success story. That paragraph really, really struck me, and I wonder if you might just um, kind of reflect on it for a few moments. Well, I mean, one problem is... You know, we've got all these uh, uh, pithy little sayings of faith doing justice, uh, men and women for others, da da da. They can degenerate, uh, degenerate into mere slogans, mere cheers, and people don't have any, you know, deep sense of what's behind them. So unless you have keep constantly in touch with the original sources, you. Uh, you get distortions and you get kind of caricatures of what is really going on. So that's the point we've been making all the way through this, I think, that you, yeah, scholarship, uh, academic stuff, you know, it seems very remote, but you've got to have it. Uh, I, I wonder, I, I agree, absolutely. And, and, and I, I went through, I, I attended Fairfield University, a great Jesuit college up in uh, Connecticut. Um, and, and I know all the catchphrase that you spoke of. And, and uh, to me, it was, it was kind of a welcome uh, gateway to go deeper, as you're describing. How, how, in your experience or in your reflection or your conversations with others, how, how can we uh, kind of bolster these catchphrases um, into those kind of gateways that draw people into a deeper encounter with, uh, with what is holy and divine and, and, and what is God, um, rather than kind of just a little uh, a slogan that they stop at? What's, how, do we, how do we work with that? Well, I don't have a good answer to that. First of all, these slogans, it's fine. I mean, in fact, it's necessary. It's, it's a, you know, it's a definition, it's a kind of pithy definition of what we're talking about. So that's fine. It's just when they become so divorced from the reality of the, of the, of the sources. That right, of course. Problem. So I don't know exactly how you uh, open people up to that, uh, except you get sort of educated people who, uh, I mean, 
scholars and people who've studied or at least read the pertinent, all the pertinent literature that can help people get deeper and deeper into it. And fortunately, we've had those. So uh, I just hope we can continue to have them. Yeah, it seems to me like a wonderful challenge uh, for the for missions offices all over the country, <laughs> all over right. the world, you know, and and um, and then also a, a wonderful challenge for spiritual directors, you know, that that kind of hopefully are the the next level. Uh, you're you're intrigued by faith that does justice. Well, how does this actually impact me? Well, let me let me go deeper. Yeah, absolutely, that's what it's all about. I mean, it's about life. It's about my life. It's about your life. So that's what it's all about. So it's got to get to that level. But you want to get. You want to get it as authentic and, and honest as you can. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm not sure if this next question is going to be worded quite correctly, but as, as you reviewed this long history, I'm wondering if anything uh, gave you pause. Did anything make you think, eh, maybe we took a wrong turn or, or we almost took a wrong turn? Um, or, or maybe even as you're looking into the future, is there is there kind of a, you feel like we've gone a little off track um, as we're thinking about this evolution of Ignatius spirit, Ignatian spirituality? Well, uh, in the process that we discussed in the article, uh, no, there's nothing that really make, gives me pause or saying that we, you know, went off, off uh, track here. Uh, I have to say that one concern I have is uh, for the Jesuits, that this is a kind of, we don't want to make the Society of Jesus reduce it to uh, a body of spiritual teaching. But, uh, mm. That's important, but we're, what I say that worried about the spiritualization of the Society of Jesus. Uh, uh, for me, the uh, the most the distinctive mark of the Jesuits, it's not Jesuits, not Ignatian spirituality, the Jesuits is, as I said, this uh, having one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It's becoming experts in secular knowledge. Uh, and that's been our real strength, and I don't want to see us lose that. Uh, so it's, it'd be wonderful, I mean, if we could keep that and have us, it's kind of motivating base, Ignatian spirituality, that's the perfect combination. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. How, how do you see um, Ignatian spirituality bearing new fruits uh, in new contexts and cultures around the world going forward? Well, I, <laughs> you asked the darndest questions. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have no idea. Uh, I'm kind of amazed, however, that... Uh, it's, we're more and more one world, and I'm amazed at what's happened in the last 30 years or so, how Ignatian spirituality, which is basically a, a European reality, has been accepted and easily accepted by around the world and other cultures, I mean, in, in the Far East and in well, Spanish America, but uh, that's, that's already kind of European. But I mean, especially in the Far East and in India, uh, Africa, uh, there doesn't seem to be any problem with it. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a uh, fertile ground. It seems for Ignatian spirituality in, uh, in a lot of the a lot of the world. Uh, you know, the um, 
you, you hear if you're in Jesuit circles, you hear this expression way of proceeding a lot. Uh, and I wonder if um, kind of uh, as we near the end of our conversation, if you might sum up uh, how, how you see uh, the Jesuit way of proceeding, especially after all of your historical research and knowledge. Well, uh, going back to the very beginning, but then all the way through, a part of it is reflective self-reflective and looking to the good of souls uh, to what works for souls uh, what would that say works for human beings body and soul so those would be the two foundation stones of it uh, and a certain uh, disciplined way of going about things which is what we mean by uh, uh, you know reflective and self self-critical so um, those are some of the elements you know. that, that works for me um i just and, and, and one other question comes to me uh, as a historian as you're looking out at the world right now uh, what what do you think people are going to say both both the world and the church uh and the society what what strikes you uh what, what's going to what's going to stick in the history books um, as, as people have podcast conversations uh, in a hundred years. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like to stick in the history books? <laughs> well, I would like to have Ignatian spirituality stick in it. I'd like to have the, the uh, accomplishments, but also the dark side of the Society of Jesus stick in it. Uh, I'd like to see Ignatius and Nadal, you know, being in Polanco, being feted, uh, and show how important their influence is. And I'd like to see the whole history enterprise shift from uh, where religion right now in the academic world, uh, or maybe the one now at the academic world, is a non-subject. Uh, hmm. uh, I mean, Universities today, well, for almost most much of their history, uh, religion plays no role. Uh, it's like a non-existent elephant in the room. So you'd like to see some more uh, religious studies departments? Well, religious studies departments, yeah, and uh, religious practice departments. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, speaking of religious practice, leave our listeners with, with this uh, bit of advice. If you were going to uh, recommend one book on Ignatian spirituality, what would it be? And it can be a book you've written if you so choose. Okay, it's easy. I recommend my own book, The First Jesuits. All right. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Uh, when I when it was, it was published by Harvard, and the uh, because before they published it, they sent it out to reviewers, and they got very good reviews. One of the reviewers said, and he was not a Catholic. I knew him. He was not a Catholic. He was an uh, Anglican. He said, I was deeply moved by it because it's a book about spirituality. Well, I was very happy to hear that. I, I guess <laughs> somebody telling me what I was, what I was, what I was writing about. Um, <laughs> but it is. It, it's this whole panorama of all the elements that went into the Society of Jesus and its its uh, 
It's spirit. It's spirit. Let's say it's spirituality. So that's yeah, and, and you know it's it's in uh, uh, paperback now, so you get a cheap edition. <laughs> get a raggedy old, uh, well well used, well loved right. edition. All yeah. right, off the off the jumpo to my bookstore now and uh, and pick it up. Well, Father O'Malley, this has been a, a real delight. Thank you for uh, for for talking with us today, and uh, I wish you well. I hope uh, I look forward to your next book. No, thank you. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Mike Jordan Lasky, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at, at @JesuitNews, on Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and at Facebook, facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.